Hello, everyone. I'm uh, Chetan Bhatt. I'm director of the Center for the Study of Human Rights at the LSE, and I'd like to warmly welcome you to this event uh, hosted by the Center on Secularism, Human Rights, and the Middle East, Challenges and Reflections. And I'd like to thank you very much for joining us this evening. A lot of people have come here, so clearly this is an area in which there is uh, considerable interest, and the theme is naturally a very important one. And just to sort of con contextualize it very, very briefly, it's important for several reasons. Uh, and this is part of the thinking uh, in terms of why we wanted to organize this particular event. In the aftermath of the so-called Arab Spring, we see the rise uh, of political Salafism. Not Salafism in general, but political and organized Salafism. And its various claims uh, regarding its version of religious ideology and how that might sit with a range of statist and constitutional arrangements uh, in, the, in the possible future, and also how it might work with regard to questions of women's rights and human rights in the Middle East. And I am generalizing and I'm aware of the varieties of different kind of political Salafism. But this also leads to new accommodations and tensions between the older movements of political Islamism, typically represented by, but not exclusively by, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, and, of course, within this mix, their secular forces, uh, liberal, left-wing, and, indeed, right-wing ones. And there have been a number of other sharp issues. So, for example, the, uh, what has been referred to as the global counter-jihad movement uh, and its releasing of this uh, film trailer and the aftermath of that. I suppose, uh, and this is I, perhaps more directed towards some of the students here who have been dealing with some of these issues, the broader theme, perhaps, is about the association between secularism, secularity, and human rights, and what the nature of that association might be. And these are, of course, uh, extremely challenging areas. So I'm therefore honored and delighted to be able to introduce to you Gilbert Ashkar, who is Professor of Development Studies and International Relations at SOAS, and he is an internationally known political theorist and authority on the Middle East. And he's published widely on politics and international relations, and uh, also on the Middle East and North Africa. And his recent books have included The Clash of Barbarisms, uh, The Making of the New World Disorder, which has been translated into 13 languages and was published in 2006. And uh, just talking to Professor, Professor Ashkar earlier, he was talking about his latest project where he's having to work across three different languages, French, Arabic, and English, in terms of his latest book, uh, which I know you have a pressing deadline for that, so we're very grateful that you were able to make it here. He's also uh, co-authored with Noam Chomsky, Perilous Power, the Middle East and U.S. Foreign Policy, and the critically acclaimed Arabs and the Holocaust, the Arab-Israeli War of Narratives. And his next book, The People Want, a Radical Exploration of the Arab uprising will uh, be out in the spring of 2013. Now this event is being audio recorded and uh, if the technology works and there are no glitches, we hope to have a podcast of the lecture and the Q&A session online in the next few days. Can I also please ask you to uh, turn your phones onto silent? So you have to turn your phones onto silent, but if you want to Twitter, you, have to, uh, you can Twitter at the same time. And the suggested hashtag for this event is uh, LSE Achkar, which is also uh, displayed behind us. 
And following the presentation, there will be ample time for your questions. So may I ask you to extend your welcome to Professor Ashkar. Thank you very much, Chetan, and uh, thank you all for, for coming, so, so many of you. Um, uh, well, listening to, uh, to what Chetan explained about the complexity of the problem, you understand that it's uh, just an impossible uh, endeavor to try to address all these questions in, uh, in 30 minutes, uh, especially that as he has also told you, and been working under, under terrible stress, uh, racing against the clock to finish my forthcoming book. And, uh, well, so I had to, to squeeze the preparation of this, uh, this uh, lecture, which will be a, a number of, I mean, of, uh, a set of, of reflections which I want to share with you and discuss with you, since uh, we have a discussion here. On, on these uh, uh, complex uh, topics. And, uh, well, I'd start from the observation that uh, Chetan made about uh, what is ha okay, that's there. what's happening in, in the region, this uh, tension that we can see, but which actually existed uh, from the start between, let's say, uh, religious political forces, forces uh, that include religion as part of their political programs, and secular forces, in a very broad sense of, uh, of forces which do not refer to religion as at least a major component of their program. Even you can find it in the background, but uh, not as a major component, not as a defining uh, component of, of, uh, of the program. So in other words, uh, uh, tension between uh, politically religious forces or, uh, uh, to be more specific, uh, forces of a, a fundamentalist character, various shades of, uh, of Islamic fundamentalism, and liberal to left forces, a conglomerate of, of uh, forces that were uh, uh, very active in, in this whole uprising and which actually uh, in most cases uh, uh, have been initiating and that's a major feature of, of, of what happened is the fact that uh, the, this big uprising in most cases has been initiated by, by people belonging to the spectrum of liberal to left and joined uh, uh, later on, at a later stage, depending on countries by uh, uh, political religious forces. Uh, so this, this tension has been, has been there and is still, is still there, but uh, uh, in countries where the struggle is still going on, like uh, uh, Syria or, uh, or Yemen or Bahrain, the tension is just in the background. It's the, the, the main, uh, the dominant aspect of the struggle is the whole opposition, including this whole range of, uh, of forces from religious to secular uh, and, and governments. Uh, whereas the, the tension is at its uh, peak now in, uh, in the countries where victories have been achieved. And I mean, these countries are Tunisia, Egypt, 
and Libya in the three countries, the tensions are very clear between uh, the two uh, set of, uh, of forces. So this, this tension ha has been here and, uh, of course, was noticeable since uh, the beginning of, uh, of, of the uprising. And it even led uh, some people uh, from the start to you know, act as a kind of exception or against the current of, uh, against the euphoria that existed uh, at the beginning of, of what has been called the Arab Spring, with uh, this kind of, uh, of name also, I mean, being part of, uh, of, of the euphoria, of course. So some, some people, minority of people, uh, try to, I would say, go against this, this current and, uh, and actually uh, bend the stick in the other direction with a very pessimistic assessment of what is going on. You had very early on a book that came out with a provocative title about the Islamist hijacking, the, uh, the, the Arab uprising, and uh, basically, uh, where the author basically explains that, you know, after all, the best regimes in the region are these, I'm quoting here because it's, it's a complete mischaracterization, what he called constitutional, constitutional monarchies in Jordan and Morocco. I mean, they are not constitutional monarchies. They are absolute monarchies with, with the conceded constitutions, but constitutions which, are, which depend on, on the will of, of the monarch. Anyway, uh, uh, so, I mean, the, these were like exceptions at the beginning, exceptions compared with the euphoria, but now, of course, Nowadays, what we see is uh, rather the euphoria, the whole euphoria being turned into, into a kind of, uh, you know, uh, deep pessimism about, uh, about the, 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 uh, the outcome or the future of all that. And when I say pessimism, of course, I'm speaking here of, of the, the view uh, in the West generally, but, I mean, leave geographic or geopolitical characterization is actually the view from those who chair the secular, uh, liberal to left uh, kind of range of views uh, as opposed to, uh, to the others who have no reason, of course, to be uh, pessimistic or, or, uh, or, uh, or, or sad about what is going on. And uh, so now we enter the, the, the stage where, where well, the same people who used to speak of Arab Spring are speaking of Arab Winter or Autumn or whatever, you know, remain in the seasons. And uh, we, you have even, you know, cases of, of uh, deep uh, melancholic depression that uh, are now expressed. And uh, a very recent, most recent uh, instance of that is the article by... Uh, 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 Hussein Aga and Robert Malley in the, the latest uh, 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 issue of uh, the New York Review of Books. And the title is, Is This a Revolution? Or, uh, or, oh, sorry, it's not even a question. It's an assertion. This is not a revolution. That's the title. And, uh, well, this is the expression, you know, of, uh, of, of a kind of, of big disappointment uh, from people who, I would say, misjudged the, the event uh, from the start. So I would say, the, 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 I mean, we, we'll discuss that, but uh, uh, it's neither the kind of, of euphoria that existed at the start, which is warranted, nor 
this kind of melancholy or depression that is warranted. Both of them are, I think, based on, on misjudging what is happening. Now, let us get more into, into the, the, the direct topic that we are discussing. And indeed, at the beginning, there has been a lot of, uh, of comments on uh, the way uh, uh, this, uh, this whole uprising has uh, uh, swept away the, the very Orientalist, in the Saidian sense, uh, assertion that existed about the incompatibility of, uh, of Islam or between Islam and, and democracy. And this is a very common idea on which articles and even books have been written, more or less sophisticated, from the very, very crude to the, uh, to the sophisticated, trying to uh, explain or, or sustain this, this kind of, uh, of, of, of perspective. And, uh, of course, the, the basic flow in, in such a perspective is that it is dealing uh, with a whole part of the world as if this part of the world, or assuming that this part of the world, is uh, determined primarily, if not only, uh, by religion. That's one point. And the second is that there is anything uh, like Islam which you could uh, uh, you know, uh, a label in one way or another and define in modern political terms. I uh, think, I believe that this kind of view is uh, uh, basically flawed uh, because, I mean, uh, Islam in, in modern times, not to mention even throughout its history, is of course the object of uh, of many, many, many different uh, interpretations. And so is the case of, uh, of, of all religions, actually. Is Christianity compatible with democracy? Which Christianity? The Opus Dei? Theology of Liberation? The Papacy? Protestantism with this or that branch of, of Protestantism, etc. So why would Islam be different? Which Islam? Just to give you an example. The Islam of Hassan al-Banna or the Islam of his brother, Gamal al-Banna. Here are two brothers, two Muslim scholars, with completely different views of, uh, of Islam, completely different interpretations of Islam. And therefore, the, the very question of is Islam compatible with democracy is, is quite, quite flawed. Or else... The answer should be any religion is compatible with democracy, of course, because it's a matter of interpretation. There's no religion that uh, stood you know, unchanged since its uh, early inception until now. This doesn't exist. And uh, the fact is that actually beyond the question, well, what is meant is not really is Islam incompatible uh, or compatible with democracy, but are Muslims, as human beings, as a set of people, uh, uh, able to uh, 
uh, you know, work through uh, uh, democracy. And that's where I think, ultimately, these kind of uh, culturalist views, this kind of essentialist perspectives, defining uh, whole peoples by culture or by some purported essence of their religion or whatever, are, uh, at the bottom of them, are really uh, brands of, 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 of racism, variations of racism. Now, what, what the, the uprising has shown, and I mean, I think uh, for anyone familiar with the region, uh, this is uh, certainly no surprise at all. Uh, uh, what, what, what the uprising has shown is that uh, the, the peoples of the region, the Arab peoples, like any peoples on earth, aspire to democracy. And they not, not only aspire to democracy, but uh, they are showing us, actually, I would say, uh, a, a higher standard of democracy that, than the one we are used to. We are used to parliamentary democracy. And this is, of course, what they achieved, what the uprisings have achieved everywhere where they triumphed, be it uh, Tunisia or Egypt or Libya. You have had uh, parliamentary democracy uh, put in place or par par parliamentary democratic forms, uh, still discussing constitutions. But uh, uh, the peculiarity of what's going on is that is you have parliamentary democracy uh, corrected by street politics, by the will, the direct will of the people, which is expressed on the streets through demonstrations. And this very central slogan of the whole uprising, the people want, which is the title of uh, my forthcoming book, a little ad, uh, is, is, is very expressive uh, of that. So, I mean, the, the core idea of democracy, the real sense of the term, the etymological sense of the term, uh, people's power, is very much what people are fighting for. And by the millions in this part of the world, but again, this is, I mean, absolutely no surprise. The, 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 the surprise, or not the surprise, the big question, I keep repeating that, the big question is not why or how come it has exploded now. The big question is why did it take so long to explode? That was a big question. And this is actually why you had all these theories, completely misleading theories, trying to explain that uh, actually the peoples of the region uh, do, I mean, uh, are accustomed to uh, despotism. That's part of their culture. That's part of the, their, uh, you know, political genes, and therefore, uh, that's why uh, you have these all these uh, despotic regimes in, in the region. Well, all this has been completely smashed, I would say, by by the uprising. And uh, and yet, what do we see now? Of course, we see in. Uh, at least two of the three countries, or not at least, actually, only two of the three countries where uh, uh, victories have been won, uh, we, we, see the, uh, um, we, we see the hegemony, or the, let's say, we see uh, 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 religious forces or Islamic forces or forces uh, uh, of, of uh, um, 
political nature, um, uh, mixing uh, religion with political perspectives, uh, 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 predominating. And that's what I started with, which, which, which leads to this uh, kind of uh, pessimistic or uh, uh, gloomy kind of reaction uh, among some, some people uh, uh, in the West. Now, is this ultimately, uh, is this a vindication of, uh, of the culturalist thesis? In the sense that, well, okay, you, you, I mean, you had this big euphoria, and a lot of you said, uh, ah, this smashes, as I just said myself, uh, the, uh, the very idea of the incompatibility or the purported incompatibility between Islam uh, and democracy. And yet, what do you see? You have uh, uh, these religious forces coming to the fore, seizing power. And, uh, and the outcome will be even worse than what, what you have now during this uh, transitional period. And, and that's it. So that means that uh, actually uh, uh, this whole uprising was basically for the majority of those who, who, who were part of it uh, a way to replace uh, uh, governments which were despotic but more or less secular, and then you would think of Tunisia, which had this reputation, the Tunisian government in, in particular, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with Muslim forces, with Islamic forces. And, and that's what it is about, and it's not, and it wasn't a democratic uprising, or even it was not, or it is not a revolution, as the title that I mentioned said. Well, as I said, uh, this um, is this whole thing is uh, based on a misjudgment. I mean, uh, for decades we have been, uh, those who are familiar with the region, uh, 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 expecting that in any explosion which most observers uh, thought would be or is inevitable actually and there were a lot of prognosis of, of explosion in, in the region uh, the, the, the common assumption was or expectation was that uh, in case of explosion uh, Islamic fundamentalist forces like the Muslim Brotherhood which is the, the most uh, important of such forces in the region uh, will prevail or actually will lead. Uh, that was absolutely uh, the expectation. And why so? Be, well, for, for a simple reason, which is that for uh, uh, three decades at the very least, these forces have been uh, the uh, hegemonic forces in the uh, expression of, uh, of popular discontent in the region. But they have been like that not forever, not as part of the cultural essence of the region, but since a certain period in time, when I say three decades, it means that before that, they were not the hegemonic forces. And uh, the region in the 50s and 60s was definitely not dominated by, by such forces. And the kind of forces that were uh, uh, the most important forces in the, in the expression of, of popular discontent were of, of brands that uh, belong to this broad range of, uh, of, uh, of secular 
uh, left-wing forces from the nationalist to, to the communist. I mean, people forget that uh, uh, in the same countries where, some of the same countries where we see now the total domination of, uh, of fundamentalist forces, take Iraq as an example, uh, people forget that uh, in this country, in the late 50s, uh, if you take the Iraqi house, the dominant force were not uh, the likes of Muqtada Sadr or whoever, but the communist. So it's just showing that we are dealing with historical phenomena, of course, everything is historical, but and not anything essential. So, Nevertheless, the fact that you had this uh, big failure of, uh, of, of the nationalists, of the left and the rest, left uh, uh, or created a vacuum which was filled by the uh, Islamic fundamentalist forces. And, uh, 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 I mean, it was uh, all the more filled by, by them, or all the easier for them to do so, that uh, this coincided with the rising cloud of the Saudi kingdom, which is the epicenter of fundamentalism, of Islamic fundamentalism, uh, and, uh, and uh, huge uh, financial uh, support to these developments, and also the use made by various governments of these same forces in order to defeat the remnants of the left and nationalism. And so this produced uh, the, the situation that we have had for, for the last few decades. And therefore, we were expecting that this situation would lead, in case of explosion, therefore, to the uh, uh, domination of, of these, uh, of these uh, fundamentalist, uh, Islamic fundamentalist forces. And as I started by saying, the, I mean, actually, the, the, the real novelty of what happened, or the surprise, uh, was that uh, they did not initiate and new forces emerged, especially among the youth, using the technologies of communication and the rest. Uh, new forces emerged that, that played the, the key decisive role in unleashing this, this, whole, uh, this whole process, and that was the real novelty. But as long as the central uh, demand, politically speaking, is democracy, it was uh, uh, quite obvious that any elections organized, uh, you know, just after a few months of the uprising uh, would uh, lead to the victory of, of those who, who uh, had uh, I mean, a much uh, larger uh, political organization and uh, much more uh, uh, financial and, uh, and communication means. Uh, not only money, but also television, which uh, all, of, all of us know how much television is, uh, is central to the uh, modern political uh, and electoral processes. And therefore, it was I mean, absolutely uh, uh, clear that they would, uh, they would be winning. And it's only wishful thinking that led many people to, 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 to doubt of that uh, in the start, uh, you know, just because there wasn't any mechanism to be, to, to be sure about uh, uh, what these forces represent, but whatever they represent, uh, people didn't take enough into consideration uh, 
that even if you are, not, you are a minority, but if you are an organized minority with money and television and the rest, uh, facing people who are unorganized, uh, basically, uh, or uh, scattered into small groups, then you, you I mean, you, you, uh, it is quite normal that you, 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 you triumph in, in elections uh, or the rest. Now the question, I mean, the, the issue is that uh, this itself has to be relativized. When you look, and I don't have time to, to, to go into that, but when you look at the uh, actual uh, processes uh, in Egypt or Tunisia, not to mention Libya, where actually the, Muslim, the local Muslim Brotherhood was defeated, I mean beaten by another so-called secular liberal force. But if you take even Tunisia and Egypt, uh, the, uh, the, the victory achieved by uh, the Muslim Brotherhood and, or the, the likes, the Nahda in, in Tunis, but it's practically the same organization, uh, is, uh, is uh, not, uh, you know, not... Uh, uh, landslide uh, as it is uh, projected, it had more or less this appearance in the, uh, in the parliamentary election in Egypt, but already this had uh, faded uh, away in the presidential election where the score was uh, much, much less uh, uh, significant than, uh, I mean, the score of the Muslim Brotherhood than whatever they achieved in the, uh, in the parliamentary election. Uh, and therefore, this is a situation, I mean, uh, in, in process, it's, it's moving. And, uh, and again, what happened is not surprising, it's definitely not surprising. And despite all the gloomy depiction of things, I, I, I still think that actually uh, uh, what is mostly amazing is how quickly these forces are or have lost ground, and how uh, uh, there are, I mean, uh, increasing uh, resistances by uh, uh, other forces, and uh, uh, especially uh, forces on the left, uh, whether uh, in Tunisia or, uh, or, or in Egypt. Now, the question, whatever is, is the outcome, is, uh, why would we assume that the forces that have been prevailing until now uh, uh, represent uh, or, or are uh, uh, in contradiction with, uh, with the democratic aspirations? So the question now becomes not is Islam compatible or not compatible with democracy, which is, as I said, a completely flawed question. But the question becomes, and that's uh, uh, much more uh, specific, are these forces, is the Muslim Brotherhood uh, uh, compatible with, uh, with democracy? I mean, is the Muslim Brotherhood uh, an organization which uh, can uh, uh, reconcile itself with uh, uh, democratic uh, uh, functioning? Now here, the issue, I would say, is not one of uh, suspicion uh, uh, a priori or priori. Uh, it is, on the one hand, the clear contradiction between democracy and their programs, their historical programs, their traditional programs, whatever they try to say, even the 
the uh, change in, in, in language, in terminology, like turning from the Islamic State to the civil state with Islamic reference. Well, this is semantic, but basically the, the interpretation that is given uh, remains one where you have this Islamic reference and therefore the Islamic framework of the state, that is the state defined by a religious framework. And that's, that's uh, the key point. So you have on the one hand this programmatic uh, uh, problem. On the other hand, you have the actual record. And the actual record, I should say, whether in Tunisia or in Egypt, is not uh, one uh, showing the, a commitment to democracy. It is quite worrying. Uh, on the contrary, again, don't have time to get into the, the, the details, but if you're following the news about whether Tunisia or Egypt, uh, there's plenty of, uh, uh, there are plenty of facts to, 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 to indicate or to, to show how, how worrying the situation is uh, when it comes to the behavior of these forces that are uh, dominant uh, in, uh, in the government. And actually, I mean, people would tell you, well, but there are, uh, we can see, they would point to Turkey as an example of a party uh, uh, belonging to this tradition of uh, so-called uh, political Islam, uh, which is in power, and yet basically uh, respecting the general uh, framework of democracy, whatever uh, criticisms or observations one can make about what is happening in Turkey. But the fact is that the Turkish AKP has broken with the tradition. It's not uh, uh, a continuity of, uh, of the likes of the Muslim Brotherhood. It's rather the product of a break with this tradition, a split from the, that tradition. And, uh, and I would say uh, uh, to see any, anything like that in the region, uh, or, you, or we can point to, to maybe some people, uh, individuals, or even political forces now representing something similar to that, but they have broken, they have split from the Muslim Brotherhood. That's the reality. So that's the point here. And, uh, and this would lead us to, to another question then. Is, it is the one of, uh, of, of the very uh, uh, assumption which is uh, lying behind what, uh, what we are, or what I am discussing right now which is, uh, of course, I have a, a set of values in mind. I have a conception of democracy in mind. I have a conception of human rights in mind. And I'm taking that as my standard for uh, the judgment I just uh, made. So of course, like any judgment, it's based on some standards. And the question is, uh, is this standard valid? Uh, uh, in other words, we have here the uh, classical debate on the, uh, on the values, on the universal uh, values versus, versus religious, regional, whatever kind of values. Classical debate, which is uh, the, the, the debate around the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights, 
And it's uh, no coincidence that despite all their differences, both the Saudi Kingdom and the Islamic Republic of Iran reject this, uh, this declaration as non-Islamic. So here you have a certain conception uh, of, of things rejecting this, uh, the, the set of values and, uh, that are expressed in, in this uh, declaration in the name of religion. And uh, I should say that the uh, recent declaration by the uh, Organization of Islamic Cooperation is really in contradiction with, uh, with some of the key aspects of, uh, of human rights in the, uh, the, as they are in the Universal uh, uh, Declaration. Uh, you have diff different versions of this, like the so-called uh, Asian, Asian values, which were uh, upheld by Mahadir uh, uh, um, uh, bin Muhammad uh, from Malaysia or Lee Kuan Yew from Singapore, and two uh, quite authoritarian, or in the case of the Singapore even more than authoritarian, despotic one could say, regimes. And here we, we see how, therefore, religion or the region or so-called regional culture, whatever it, it might mean, are used to reject those basic rights that the millions have been uh, 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 demanding uh, very recently and are still demanding, even in Kuwait recently, in, in the Arab world. So, the, the, the key, the key uh, question is here. And I should say the uh, uh, basic, I would say the, the, the most important or basic refutation of this claim of, uh, of you know, uh, of this rejection of the universal uh, uh, or the values embodied in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights as Western is again that it's based on a completely uh, uh, flawed reasoning. And uh, well, let me read a little quote uh, from Amartya Sen because he put it uh, quite, quite rightly uh, on this issue when he said that the practice of democracy that has won out in the modern West is largely a result of a consensus that has emerged since the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution, and particularly in the last century or so. Again, this is historical. To read in this a historical commitment of the West over the millennia to democracy, and then to contrast it with non-Western traditions, treating each in turn as monolithic, would be a great mistake. Nicely, nice euphemism. This is comp indeed completely misleading to portray these uh, values of democracy and human rights as Western. They are not Western. They are, uh, well, of course, they uh, were enforced uh, uh, in the West before other parts of the world, but that's also a product of the fact that this, uh, uh, I mean, Europe happened to be uh, leading the way in the uh, industrial transformation of the world, and that was related to that. Uh, uh, and, uh, I mean, had we looked at uh, medieval, uh, the medieval West, 
uh, then we could have had the same ideas about the fact that the imp incompatibility of, of democracy or human rights or whatever uh, with, uh, with its uh, set of cultural values. So this is a key, a key aspect of, of the problem. Uh, the, the other issue is the, the issue of, uh, of religious taboos and uh, freedom of expression and whether freedom of speech, free speech, is, is just uh, a fig leaf for some kind of uh, Islamophobic uh, uh, enterprise. I should say that even in this regard, it's very important, as in every aspect, it's very important to contextualize the discussion. I mean, it's clear in my view that uh, those who are resorting to these provocations, like this uh, extremely stupid film, or the even more stupid uh, uh, priest, or I don't know what it is, uh, in the United States wanted to burn Korans, uh, are, I mean, extremely reactionary and Islamophobic, racist-minded uh, people. That's absolutely clear. But uh, I think to say that uh, uh, should not uh, lead us to uh, uh, defend the idea that there should be a limitation uh, uh, on uh, free speech uh, uh, with regard to religion. That is to introduce, like some people have been uh, suggesting, uh, an international uh, uh, legislation against blasphemy. And you see the very concept of blasphemy is actually setting us back uh, for centuries. Uh, uh, because uh, the, the issue here is like anything with free speech, I mean, free speech can be used in the most reactionary ways, it can be used in, in, in the most progressive ways, uh, but uh, the, the existence of extremely reactionary uh, uses of free speech should not lead us to, you know, throw the, 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 the baby with the, 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 the bathwater. I think that would be a major, uh, a major uh, mistake. And uh, in, uh, in Muslim-majority countries, this is very important because uh, uh, people there, instead of playing into the hands of those who are exploiting these provocations in order to push forward their extremely obscurantic, obs obscurantist views, those who are, uh, you know, uh, there have been a lot of exploitation of, of these provocations, uh, the, the, the main role of people there, because again I'm contextualizing, I don't think you can take the same, or you don't have the same priorities in your political uh, stance, whether uh, uh, you are in, uh, in the West, for instance, or in Muslim majority countries on such issues, and depending on the issues, every time you have to contextualize. So uh, I think it's, it's, it's something uh, uh, very important uh, to, to, I mean, it's a very important uh, distinction because we see from historical experience precisely what I was saying about uh, the West and uh, quoting uh, Amartya Sen. Uh, we see from historical experience how much the criticism of religion has been the key historical condition, actually, 
um, uh, in the, I mean, for the advancement of, of knowledge, for political emancipation, and for women's liberation. I mean, all these issues have gone through, uh, uh, you know, a, a religious wall that they had to, 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 to break, to breach, in order uh, to, uh, to progress. And therefore, this criticism of religion is basically a key condition for, for all these uh, uh, progresses. And it's not different in Muslim-majority countries or Arab countries or whatever. Actually, they provide us and this is a part, I mean, I belong to, I mean, I'm an Arab myself. Uh, I think uh, the, the, the Arab world has pro provides us with a negative illustration, the negative illustration or confirmation of the fact that the freedom to criticize religion is a key condition for, uh, for the, the, you know, all sorts of emancipation. Freedom to criticize religion, which is, uh, of course, uh, a part of freedoms freedom of belief, freedom of, uh, of, uh, of, I mean, all sorts of religious freedoms. But, the, 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 I mean, this is connected to this uh, um, ability, therefore, to, to criticize, to discuss everything, which is, I mean, the very condition of even the scientific uh, uh, mind or spirit uh, uh, itself. And ultimately, I mean, my, my last point is about uh, secularism, therefore, uh, um, in, in, this, uh, in this regard. Uh, some people have, and I won't give names, I'm not getting into uh, polemics here anyhow, have characterized secularism as the doctrine of, uh, of, of Western imperialism. Uh, you have had a lot of writings, some of them very sophisticated, with basically uh, this view. Um, I took part recently, I mean a few years ago actually, in a debate with a person who was making that point and explaining uh, the occupation of Iraq uh, in this perspective. So I made an observation to this person that the United States, which purportedly was, uh, you know, according to this person, uh, uh, bringing secularism as part of its uh, ideological uh, arsenal, uh, had waged that war from the territory of the Saudi Kingdom, which is the closest friend of the United States and that part of the world, and definitely the most fundamentalist uh, uh, state on earth, and uh, in alliance with uh, uh, nice Iraqi forces called uh, the Supreme Council for the Islamic Revolution or the Islamic Party, etc. Overthrowing uh, a government which was portrayed, even the, of course this is very debatable, but at the very least compared to these uh, forces, uh, it was portrayed as secular. So how can we uh, say, in light of this historical experience, that secularism is a doctrine of uh, is an, uh, the doctrine of, of, uh, of imperialism in that regard. This is completely, I mean, a complete misreading of uh, of, uh, of the facts. And there is at least uh, enough, or actually much more ground to to sustain the opposite theory, as uh, as Islam would put it, to define uh, culturalism as he would put it, as the grand narrative of, of capitalism exultant, uh, 
and to uh, 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 describe the, the kind of views that I mentioned as he does as postmodern obscurantism, branding like that, or forms of, uh, of culturalism. So I, 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 I do believe in the same way that I think that uh, uh, human rights, democratic values are universal values and we see a confirmation of that in the permanent process of history and this uprising is but the most recent uh, uh, confirmation of this, of the fact that these values are common to humankind. Uh, um, they, I mean, Secularism, in the sense of the separation of religion and state, uh, is, is a, a basic prerequisite of democracy, of democracy or any form of, uh, of, of democracy. Because the very idea that uh, 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 legislation should be compatible with religious texts, this very idea is contradictory with the very idea, with the core of democracy, which is the sovereignty of the people. Now you could say, well, the people may vote for this, for a religious constitution. But then you get into what has been, uh, you know, summarized in a famous formula, one person, one vote, one time. That would be a closure uh, of democracy. So this separation is absolutely essential because democracy is not precisely one person, one vote, one time. It is the sovereignty of the people, not one time, but in permanence. And I would put it differently, the reversibility of laws, like the revocability of rulers, are essential prerequisites of democracy. And if religion, which is sacred, which is, uh, uh, I mean, uh, which is from beyond the realm of, 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 of humankind, is uh, 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 inserted into any constitution, this is in itself a contradiction with the democratic uh, uh, aspiration. Thank you very much. Thank you uh, very much indeed for a very uh, stimulating and enlightening lecture dealing with some very provocative themes. Now we have uh, good time for questions and I know many of you have uh, questions to ask so I'll take questions in groups of three if I may and also you'll see our wonderful LSE stewards who are uh, hovering around uh, and they will uh, come with a microphone to you when I indicate uh, you to them. Um, so. Can I also request that you hold the microphone in front of you before you ask your question? And um, please also don't hang on to it, otherwise the stewards might start tickling you with a feather duster uh, until you release it. But please let everyone uh, speak into the microphone so people can hear uh, your question. 
This could be this might cause a short delay uh, waiting for the microphone, but please, uh, I ask you to be patient. Also, there are people on the top gallery, and the LSE stewards are very superpowered, but they don't have the capacity yet, we're working on it, to scramble up the sides of the walls. Uh, so you might have a longer delay, uh, but again, please be patient. Also, when you do ask a question, can I please request that you state your name and uh, your, any institutional or organizational affiliation, please? Who would like to go first? Yeah. Hi, my name is Ahmed. I'm just a doctor in the NHS, basically. Um, so, so, question, I, I wonder if uh, Professor, Professor Ashkar could care to give us a comment on the Syrian situation. And I agree with you that the left has a very important part to play in fighting against reaction Islamist forces. Now, unfortunately, the stance of many segments of the left, and I know you are a noble exception to this, the stance of many sections on the left in the Arab world and outside has been extremely disappointing on the Syrian revolution, characterizing it as an imperialist conspiracy, as Islamist-led, and which has been extremely disappointing to many Syrians such as myself, who would, I would consider myself as a left-wing persuasion. And I'm just wondering if you'd care to comment on whether this stance that many sections of the left have taken has actually made the struggle more difficult what's going to happen, because it will be a very difficult struggle indeed from what comes next after Assad. Thank you. Thank you very much for that question. Can I take a couple more? So there's one just over there. Yes. Uh, hello, Mr. Askar. I'm Ayub Dera. I'm a student at LSE. I would like to ask you, actually, about the attitude of the West towards the Arab Spring. We have noticed that for many decades, the, the, the Western countries supported uh, dictators and uh, depicting them as like, okay, they are autocratic, but they respect the right of women or uh, economically speaking, they're good. Uh, the French president Jacques Chirac said about um, Ben Ali uh, 10 years ago that the first of human rights is to have food. So now they, they were like... I agree with him on that. Okay. But th that wasn't yeah. the case in Tunisia. So, yeah, what, what, what do you think? Do you think that they still uh, hold on this line or, like, move with the, the Arab people? Okay, thank you for that. Can I have one more question? We have one. Well, actually, there's three people with their hands up, but... Um, I'm Aitushuk to a lecture at the Center for the Study of Human Rights. Um, to the extent that we have the freedom to criticize secularism as well, or the enlightenment version of secularism that you pronounce very strongly on, could I please ask you to elaborate what exactly is the incompatibility between political Islam and democracy? Could you say more about that, please? Because it's one thing to call Muslim Brotherhood fundamentalist, another thing to respect it as a political project. And I don't see really what exactly is the incompatibility here. Thank you very much for that. Uh, can I just take one more question? There's one at the back, just there. Yes, you, who just... Um, hello, thank you, Professor Ashad. Um, my name is Darian Al-Hajj. I'm Lebanese and I'm an LLM student. Um, don't you think that for a revolution to be meaningful, there should be also revolutions in the social values so that at least democracy in the minimum standards of it, which is human rights, rule of law, 
protection of liberty is realized because if not, then it would jeopardize um, the main concept of the reversibility of laws that you have explained. Okay, thank you, Sajka. Good bunch of questions to begin with. Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, thank you for, for the questions. Um, Syria. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, we, I mean, this is uh, maybe the extreme case illustrating what I was saying and the shift in attitudes uh, of, of people uh, who were supportive of the overall movement when it started in, in Tunisia and spread to, to Egypt, and Yemen, Bahrain, and then uh, changed their positions, some of them already with the, with the Libyan case and uh, a lot with the, uh, Syrian, uh, the Syrian case. Um, now, uh, I mean, the, first of all, the, the idea that uh, uh, the uh, Syrian uprising is uh, dominated by uh, Salafists or whatever uh, kind of forces is, uh, at the very least, extremely exaggerated. So that's already a, 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 a very wrong way of portraying what is, what is happening and what is basically a popular, a genuine, very genuine uh, popular uprising uh, in which actually no political force whatsoever uh, was prevailing or dominant. And uh, to this point, actually, on the ground, uh, there isn't any uh, political force that is appearing as, as dominant. This is... Uh, uh, very peculiar to, to what's happening uh, in Syria. So we have this popular movement clashing with uh, uh, one of the most brutal and ruthless dictatorships, uh, not only in the region, I would say, in the world. What we have been seeing uh, over uh, the last months has been really appalling. And, uh, I mean, to... to uh, to, sup to, to support the dictatorship, or even to be neutral, uh, with, under the pretext that there are some reactionary forces of a religious character in the uprising, should have been applied as a rule to Tunisia and Egypt, where you had the same kind of forces. I'm just been speaking a lot about the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. So what's the, what's the difference? So basically, it amounts, I mean, the, the, the core of all that is actually uh, and the idea that not that the, the Syrian regime is secular when its closest ally is Iran, actually, uh, but that it is uh, uh, anti-imperialist. Now, uh, uh, this is, I mean... Uh, this is a, not a very uh, original view. We have seen a lot of such views at the time when you had the Soviet Union and the system of, uh, of people supporting repression in those countries uh, uh, under the pretext that these were socialist or anti-imperialist or whatever countries when they were repressing their populations uh, uh, or supporting the Soviet intervention in Czechoslovakia or the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan, etc. So, of course, this means that here, I mean, basically, the, the key problem is, what is your basic value? Is it 
the right of the people to self-determination, or is it anti-imperialism per se? Because if your basic value is the right of people to self-determination, and that is the, the reason why you are against imperialism as, by definition, uh, uh, oppressing this, this right, this is one thing. But your main criterion is the right of people's self-determination. Otherwise, if you make of anti-imperialism a general category uh, and decentral one, and in the name of that, you support regimes suppressing their own people, then, I mean, the, the, rent, I mean, the discussion is clear. So there's a, a very basic uh, disagreement here. Uh, more generally, also concerning the, uh, the I mean, Western, uh, or Western government's uh, attitudes towards the uh, Arab Spring, indeed, it has been, uh, uh, it has displayed the same kind of hypocrisy that we have been seeing for uh, so, so many decades uh, uh, in the region, and especially on, on this issue of, uh, of, of democracy uh, uh, and the rest. I mean, any pretension that uh, the Western governments were or are promoting democracy in the region uh, is contradicted, refuted by the touchstone represented by the Saudi Kingdom, which is the main ally or main friend or the dearest friend to all Western governments, the government of this country included, and which is again the, the, the real antithesis of democracy, human rights, women's rights, etc. And, and, and this is the touchstone. So all the rest is hypocrisy. All the rest is an attempt, you know, at, 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 uh, at uh, recuperating a movement which uh, uh, inserts itself not in what the very naive uh, adherence to conspiracy theory describe as, you know, as an almighty United States uh, pulling the strings of all that. This is ridiculous. The United States is in real, di I mean, really facing uh, dire straits in the region. The, the, the U U.S. Uh, hegemony in the region is at its lowest point since uh, 1990, which was the, a peak. Uh, uh, just look at the outcome of Iraq. Iraq, I mean, don't take the real measure because the withdrawal from Iraq was less dramatic than the withdrawal from Vietnam. But actually, it's a biggest defeat. It's an absolutely huge defeat for the United States, what, uh, what happened in Iraq. And the fact that the United States had to, to leave Iraq, not even able to leave there a government uh, uh, which they could consider as a client of Washington. Um, about the, the uh, incompatibility between, uh, uh, well, uh, political Islam is not a formula I use except with, uh, with quote marks, uh, because I find it loaded with Orientalist perspective. Why don't we speak of political Christianity, political Judaism, etc.? Why political Islam? I, I mean, I'm very cautious with any formulas trying to essentialize any phenomenon. 
And that's why I also reject personally the term Islamism, which I find misleading and in the mind of many people creates a confusion with Islam as a religion. And that's why I speak of fundamentalism, whatever the discussion we can have. But when you take a broader concept of fundamentalism, at least it applies to all religions. Jewish fundamentalism, Catholic fundamentalism, Protestant fundamentalism, Shia, Sunni, whatever. That's a major point. So that's, that's a key thing. And so let's be more concrete. The Muslim Brotherhood. Why is it uh, 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 programmatically incompatible with, with democracy? Well, I mean, when they tried a few years ago, the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, to, to produce a program, they had a program in which you had an assembly of Islamic experts. I mean, they don't have the Vilayat Faqih of Iran, but the idea of the assembly of experts uh, vetoing uh, the legislation was there. And it's still there in the idea of the, civic, the civil uh, state with Islamic reference. And now, among, I mean, the project of, of constitution which is discussed, if you have a, a clause, I mean, one of the versions, uh, where uh, Al-Azhar is defined as the, uh, you know, the, 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 the ulama of Al-Azhar would, would have the, 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 the power to decide the constitutionality. I mean, they would actually be a kind of constitutional court because they would have to decide the compatibility or incompatibility of legislation with Islam. So this is, I'm sorry, but this is very clearly contradictory with democracy. Democracy puts no limitations on the will of the people and the decision, the sovereign uh, uh, decision of the people. Well, not to mention, of course, views like uh, uh, the fact that women can, I mean, a woman cannot be president or whatever, which are also part, part of the story. So you can't have a, a, a fundamentalist perspective, and here by fundamentalist I mean the literalist interpretation of religion, which sees religion as a necessary part of of a necessary component of polity and not only of society. This is uh, what I would call uh, fundamentalism. And this is not compatible with democracy. W whatever the religion, whatever the religion, this, I would tell you exactly the same for Christian fundamentalists, Jewish fundamentalists, or whatever. Their views are not compatible with democracy. That's the point. And, uh, well, uh, I mean, the, the, the last uh, uh, intervention was not so much a, a question, as far as I understand it, as more a kind I of a statement with which I, I agree, which is the, the, what I tried uh, to say. So I, I have no, uh, nothing to, to add to what was said. Okay, uh, we, got, we can take some more questions, but can I also remind you that um, when you're asking a question, the, the length of your question should be shorter in time than the answer that you expect. So, no long speeches uh, and so forth. Any more questions? That's this one there. Thank you. I have a question regarding Tunisia and Libya. The parliaments in the states are dominated by Islamist uh, parties. These parties are right in the constitutions. If you look, for instance, to uh, countries in Europe or the United States, in my country, the Netherlands, the constitution was written by liberals, and the constitution still expressed, well, even uh, 160 years later, liberal values. So, Aren't you worried that the constitutions that are written now will express these Islamist values and that maybe even in 100 years the constitution will remain almost unchanged and will still express these Islamist values? Okay, thank you for that. Uh, there's a question at the front here. Um, my, asking, my, action, 
Sorry, I'm uh, Yaar. I'm from the MSc in Human Rights. Um, my question is, according to your definition of fundamentalism, um, do you think that uh, the Jewish fundamentalism uh, and Zionism as Israel acted in 1948 and 1967, is, um, is, it means that Israel is a fundamentalist uh, state to its core or not? Um. Okay, and... Thank you for that. And one, we have one more. We shall be, if we make it the final question. Thank you. Um, my name is Zoe. I'm from the University of Melbourne. Um, in light of the hypocrisy, um, the history of hypocrisy and the continuing hypocrisy of um, Western government's stance towards the Middle East and Arab democracy, I'm wondering if you can envisage any kind of intervention on the part of Western governments in circumstances like Syria or Libya, which you're critical of, that could actually genuinely be in aid of Arab democracy and human rights and not just self-interested. Thanks. Okay, really good set of questions. Thank you. Yep. Um, well, about the f first question well, about uh, the, the constitutions that are being uh, uh, written right now or discussed. Uh, yes, of course, there's a, a big fear and danger that, uh, that uh, they may be uh, like what you, you said. Uh, uh, and, uh, and that is leading to a very strong reaction and resistance and fight of, uh, of uh, all forces opposed to, to this kind of outcome in these countries. And uh, by the way, the, the very, I mean, uh, in Tunisia, at least the, the uh, process uh, itself uh, is less contested. In Egypt, even the process itself, the so-called constitutional uh, assembly that is drafting the constitution is very much contested in its, in its very principle, in this form of, uh, of composition. So, indeed, there's a big threat, and the fight is going on. And uh, uh, that's, I mean, th that's why I said the, the key point is that, I mean, uh, the euphoric view of what is happening in the region was as much wrong as the uh, uh, gloomy view that you have presently. The key point, I think, the key achievement of this whole uprising is really that the peoples of the region have learned to want to express their will. And you can see that whatever elections you have, demonstrations are going on. That's what I said when I emphasized the fact that we are seeing there a, a, a higher, let's say, standard of democracy than the one than parliamentary democracy. I said, I spoke of parliamentary democracy corrected by a street uh, politics, by uh, the people coming out, not, you know, waiting for the next election and, you know, uh, taking everything in, in the meantime, but expressing what they want in the streets. I mean, uh, this has become part of the general Tradition, I would say, in, uh, in countries with long history of democracy in the region, it is new, and that's extremely important. And this is, this is I mean, it will be very difficult to reverse. I'm not saying it's irreversible, nothing is irre irreversible, but 
this is this is uh, or, uh, something which, for the time being, uh, has become very, very, uh, very strong. Uh, Zionism. Uh, Zionism is not. Uh, I mean, Zionism is a movement that encompasses a whole very broad range of, of forces, from the secular, some of them even claiming to be uh, radical left, to uh, to, do, to the fundamentalists, to Jewish fundamentalism. But Zionism itself is not Jewish fundamentalism. That's something different. Uh, um, now. Uh, uh, I mean, if you're asking me about that more generally, about the compatibility of Zionism with democracy, I would say that uh, uh, Zionism uh, is, is democratic for the Jews, and that shows the limitation of the so-called democracy when it becomes an ethnic democracy, which is based on a religious definition. So it, it may be secular, but ultimately it can't be regarded as really democratic uh, in the full sense uh, of the term, as long as you have second-class citizen in the country itself and a whole populations dispossessed and, uh, and oppressed and uh, an occupation that is, has been go going on for, for several decades already. Uh, as for the uh, uh, inter I mean Western intervention, uh, whether it could be devoid of, uh, of self-interest or, or, I mean, has, uh, w whether it could be genuinely motivated by, uh, by humanitarian uh, feelings, uh, I don't think so. I don't think that, I mean, except, you know, uh, I mean, I don't think that military interventions uh, by Western governments and the record does not give us any indication of that, uh, can be purely motivated by humanitarian uh, views. I mean, if, if we had governments ruled by humanitarian views, there are much easier things to do than military interventions. It would take a small fraction of military expenditure to eradicate diseases that kill Millions or tens of millions of people every year. It takes a small fraction of that. And you can give so many other examples. Uh, and when we look at the record of intervention and we compare, I mean, uh, uh, the huge intervention for the, between quote marks, liberation of Kuwait, yeah, with, uh, uh, you know, so many cases of... Uh, much larger countries and much bigger peoples under occupation and left like that, you see that things are uh, related to, to interest. And in the same way, the difference between Libya and Syria is very telling. It's very telling. Of course, there are a lot of differences between Libya and Syria, but a key one is definitely the fact that uh, Libya is a rich oil state, as Kuwait was. So uh, basically, uh, these interventions are motivated by narrow economic interest, ultimately, or strategic interest, and definitely not by humanitarian uh, consideration, whatever the rhetoric is. Thank you. Okay. Um, actually, before uh, uh, 
we give our formal thanks. And before we leave, can I remind you of uh, two forthcoming center events? The first one is on uh, the stateless citizen, irregular migration, and cosmopolitan citizenship. And that's on Tuesday, the 6th of November, with Professor Andreas Kalivas and uh, Dr. Aisha Chubukchu from the center. And then we also have our large UN International Human Rights Day event, which is putting rights back together again. And that will be on Thursday, the 6th of December at 6.30 with Salil Shetty, who is the Secretary General of Amnesty International. Also, if you want to be informed of the Centre's events and other activities, you can sign up to receive our email alerts and also follow us on Twitter uh, at LSE Human Rights. Can I thank Gilbert Ashkar for an extremely stimulating... And before we go, can I also thank Zoe Gillard, our centre manager, for all her help in organising all of our one range of uh, public events. Can I thank the wonderful LSE stewards for their work and also to yourselves for your thoughtful and stimulating and extremely helpful questions. Thank you very much. Thank you.